This morning we'll be in Acts chapter 15, and this morning is uh, we reach the central part of Acts. If you, if you take your English Bibles and you would count how many words, like literally how many words have been up to this point, and how many words are after this point, it's almost exactly equal on either side of, of this chapter. So we're reaching uh, the midpoint as far as the actual content and length, though we shifted several weeks ago from the ministry that focused on Peter's ministry, and now we've been focusing on Paul's ministry. If you were not here last week, I wasn't, um, but if you were not here last week, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to Josh's sermon, uh, Josh Hostetter's sermon from last week. It was really helpful uh, content. He spent quite a bit of time talking about soul care and uh, the health of being a holistic person. It's worth listening to, so I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. I, was, uh, I had a long car drive on Tuesday, so I spent Tuesday afternoon uh, listening to that. So um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15, and this is where the Jerusalem Council uh, takes place. And it's a, it's a really, really important story in shaping not only the story of Acts, but in shaping who we are today as a people. So um, who we are 2,000, some 2,000 years later, uh, is affected deeply. Our faith and the way that we believe we walk with the Lord and walk in community is affected deeply because of what took place back at this council um, in Acts chapter 15. Next Sunday, we're going to take a break from Acts, and I'm actually going to preach on Galatians, because Acts chapter 15 is why the Apostle Paul wrote the epistle to the Galatians. And, um, and so we're going to take a week to go explore Galatians. So when you're reading Galatians and when you're encountering it, um, you can look back on this story in Acts 15 to see the context uh, for, for why Paul wrote that letter. And one of the key questions for this morning is, uh, and that they were wrestling with in the early church, is how do we become part of the family of God? What's required for us to be part of the family of God? So this is uh, the missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas just completed um, in Asia Minor and Cyprus, and they have now gone back to their sending church in Antioch, which is in northern Syria there. Just a little bit of background before we get into it. The Jerusalem Council likely took place in either late 48 or early 49 AD. So it's about 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. About 15 years have passed, which is one of those time frames that's like you still remember it well, but there's been some time. There's been some space. So it's been 15 years. This year was 15 years since I lived in the Philippines. My life continues to be shaped by that. But I'm a different person, and things have happened over the last 15 years. And so that's about the amount of space that's happened since Jesus ascended into the heaven. Christianity, up until this point, has remained a mostly Jewish movement. And it's important for us to remember that the early Christians saw themselves as part of Judaism. They didn't think of themselves as a new faith. They thought of themselves as Jewish, because the first Christians were all Jews. And they believed that Jesus was the perfect expression of the promised new covenant that God had long promised to the nation of Israel. So they saw themselves as part. They saw themselves as the true representation of what God was doing in Israel. 
not a new religion. This is really important for us to understand. We live so far removed in such a different time and culture that it's hard for us to realize um, how much of a shift it was to, to move into a totally separate category of thinking as far as seeing themselves as a new religion, which happened later. However, as the gospel spread into the Gentile Roman world, the church grew to include many people who had little to no background in Judaism. So Paul, as Paul and Barnabas went out on their mission trip, and all these uh, Gentiles came into the faith, these were men and women who didn't eat kosher food and hadn't been circumcised and didn't grow up going to the synagogue and didn't know the Torah, did not know the law. And so um, they're coming with not just a uh, it's not a clean slate. They're coming with all sorts of presuppositions and beliefs and what they've been taught in their culture, and they're bringing it into this new faith of Christianity. So for the first time, Christians had to answer the question, what must one do to be a Jesus follower? Because you weren't just, by, to be part of the Jewish faith was a birthright, literally. It was a birthright. But to be part of the Christian faith, they're seeing that this is something a little bit different. And, and so they're, they're going to have to wrestle with this question. There was a very tenuous, I, I find this to be so fascinating. There was a very tenuous peace between Rome and the Jewish leaders. All Roman subjects throughout their entire empire were expected to persi- uh, participate in the imperial cult. So every Roman subject, no matter where they lived, part of what they had to do was worship and pray and sacrifice to Caesar. There was no option. If you're in the Roman world, you've been conquered by Rome, um, you had to sacrifice and pray to Caesar. And so Caesar had a cult, and he had a statue, and he had uh, followers and temples in the different cities throughout the Roman Empire. However, um, the Romans, when they tried to force the Jews to do this, every single time the Jews uh, revolted because they were monotheistic. And they were deeply convicted that they could not pray to Caesar. And so it became so violent and it became such a headache to the Romans that they actually gave an exception to the Jews that they gave to no other people throughout the empire, which is really interesting. So the only conquered people in the entire Roman empire who did not have to sacrifice and pray to Caesar were the Jewish people. And this is going to come into the story today in big ways. Because when the first Jewish Christians saw all these Gentile believers start to come in, that put that peace in jeopardy. That put that exception in jeopardy. And I'll explain that more. So they, the Jews were the one and only group who were given a religious exception. There was, um, there was a lot of confusion in the Roman world regarding Jewish monotheism. In fact, many Romans and Greeks actually believed that Jews were atheists, which is interesting, because they did not worship a visible representation of the gods. So you can go back and read some of the classic literature um, of Romans and Greeks describing the Jewish faith, and they'll actually call them atheists which is interesting because they didn't worship a visible thing, and that was very confusing. Uh, one explanation for the violent response of many Jews to the Gentiles becoming Christians and therefore broadly included in the Jewish faith, remember, it's not a separate thing at this time. It's still part of the Jewish faith, 
was the fear that their inclusion would ultimately result in the loss of the hard-won religious freedom from Caesar worship. So there are deeply, uh, deep political ramifications to non-Jews becoming Christians. And here, living today, we don't think about that, right? When's the last time you thought about that when you were sharing your faith or thinking about your faith? And yet, on the ground, 2,000 years ago, this was the reality that, that their, their freedom that they had fought so, uh, fought so hard for was being put in jeopardy by Gentiles coming into the faith. So it's a little bit more confusing. It's not as cut and dry as maybe we read the text uh, today. Further complications. The two great crises of the nation of Israel were the destruction of Solomon's temple and the exile. The Jewish people lost their land. They lost the location of God's presence because they believed that God dwelled in the holy place in the temple. They lost the ability to fulfill the requirements of the law. No longer could they sacrifice the, the ceremonial system was upheaved because of this. Um, they lost their ability to fulfill the requirements of the law, and they lost their autonomy. The, the Jewish people were ruled in succession by the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Syrians, and then they had a little bit of freedom for about 50 years, and then the Romans. So for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, new nations came in and dominated this people. And this, in their mind, um, according to the prophets in the Old Testament, according to Isaiah and Ezekiel, according to um, Jeremiah, this all happened, the destruction of the temple and the exile and then the foreign enemies dominating them, it happened because they had failed to fulfill the requirements of the law. They had not held up their end of the covenant with God. They had not worshipped God faithfully. They had gone after other gods. They had uh, sacrificed to other gods. They had not been faithful to the temple. And because of all of these things, God's anger poured out, uh, was poured out on them. This is their understanding of why they've been dominated for so long. So, if you're a deeply religious person, whether you're a Christian Jew or just a Jew at this point, Law is very, very important. Torah is very, very important because the lack of following the law and the lack of following the Torah is what led to all, this problem, all these problems in the first place. So now, um, the, this last little sentence here on this slide, and now the Gentiles were not even being circumcised. So Paul, Paul and Barnabas had not required even circumcision, which was the most basic symbol of the covenant relationship with God. So circumcision had been given long before the time of Moses and and the official Mosaic law. Anybody remember where that came into the story? Abram. So when God called Abram to follow him, when he changes his name, he gives him a sign of the covenant relationship between God and Abram's family. And it's said to be God said it would be an everlasting, like that's, that's a very strong statement, is it not? An everlasting sign of relationship between God and his covenant people, his family, Abram's family, and then God changes Abram's name to Abraham. And so from that time, that was some 400 years before Moses was on the scene. 
So for hundreds and hundreds of years before the law was even given, the most basic way that you expressed that you were part of God's covenant family was to be circumcised. And now here, Paul is running off God knows where, telling people to follow God and become part of this covenant, and he's not even asking them to fulfill the single most basic and fundamental requirement of what it means to be part of the covenant. Typically, when we read the book of Galatians as Protestants, we read it through the lens of Calvinism and Arminianism, and and we bring all of our own presuppositions from the modern world onto the text. Paul was not debating Calvinism and Arminianism in Galatians. That is not what he's debating. That, That was not a debate for another 1,500 years. Paul is talking about what does it mean to be in the covenant family of God. So we'll look uh, more at this um, next week. But this is in Galatians chapter 2. And this is the famous text where Paul confronts Peter. So Peter had gone up to Antioch. And it says, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, so when these Jews came purporting to be from James... When they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. That word literally translates as play-acting. You're play-acting. You're being fake. So what, what Paul says to Peter is not just you're a hypocrite. He's saying you're playing at a game that's not real. You're pretending something that doesn't exist. And then when he says, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Who was Paul's uh, uh, partner in the mission to Galatia? Barnabas. Many of these people that Paul's writing to in this epistle would have come to the faith through directly through the words and ministry of Barnabas. And you can feel Paul's heart break. Even Barnabas was led astray. By this, I was thinking as I was studying this week, I was thinking about um, pastoring at Drexel Hill, where I was before this, and I, I co-pastored with Brandon Hanks, who's still there. And Drexel Hill Church, one of the things that God made abundantly clear from the beginning of our journey there, and, and still continues to be the case, was he, for whatever reason, he was using it to be a ministry to many individuals with special needs or mental illness. And so it's a relatively small body, and a large portion of the body has special needs or or mental illness. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, it changes the culture. So when I would be giving a sermon, people would just randomly call things out to me, or ask questions, or stand up because they wanted to stretch in the middle of the sanctuary and, and do this kind of thing. Of course, in many churches, that would feel very awkward, but in that place, it was very normal, and we felt... We felt so convicted that this is who God wants this body to be. And so the people, um, wherever they were from, whatever their, their gifts were or struggles were, we were convicted that they were to be full members of the body, fully included, even teaching sometimes, even holding positions of leadership where it was appropriate. Now imagine if Brandon... All of the sudden, if some PhD on a high and mighty horse would have showed up into town and said, 
these people can't teach. They don't know Greek and Hebrew. Like, this person shouldn't be teaching Sunday school. He can't read the original languages. And, and, and if, if uh, in that situation, Brandon would have said, you know what, you're right. Like, they should, they should be able to study with greater depth before they teach the word. And then they began to teach that and remove people from positions. Even, even Barnabas was led astray. It's that kind of thing. Now, of course, that didn't happen. And Brandon and I remain on the same page about that. But that's the kind of heartbreak that Paul is expressing about even Barnabas was led astray. Then he says, and this is one of the most crazy scriptures to me in the New Testament, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth, this is verse 14 of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, for some time now, Peter, you've been going and eating with Gentiles, and you have been going and meeting in their homes. So why are you being a hypocrite now and play-acting like this is some important requirement uh, all of a sudden? We'll, we'll explore this more next week as, after we uh, study Acts chapter 15. I want to go back to one more thing. I know this is a ton of information this morning, but you all are doing great. Good job. <laughs> it should be no surprise then that the inclusion of so many Gentiles who were not being required to follow the law was extremely alarming to many Jewish Christians. And we shouldn't look back on them with our our noses thumbed at them and and think we're better than them because they struggled with this. This was a legitimate question. This This was a very legitimate question for them. Surely the least they could do would be to practice circumcision. That's the Gentiles, right? That's the least they could do. Be circumcised. This had, this had been a requirement through all the generations of the faith. Furthermore, all God-fearing Gentiles who desired to join the faith had always been required to practice circumcision and follow the Torah. Why should this change now? And this is the, the big question, the struggle that leads us to Acts chapter 15 um, and the text this morning. So God, before we engage uh, Acts 15, we just invite you to teach us. Help us piece together what you want for us to piece together. We've got all sorts of things floating around between the law and circumcision and Roman uh, domination and concern for, for the covenant and all of these things that are so foreign to who we are today. We don't think in the same ways that people thought like back then. It's such a different time, such a different culture and place. So, Father, we need your spirit to enlighten our eyes and help us uh, view the view this story in a way that teaches us how to walk closely with you and teaches us what you have for us today. So as we engage the text this morning, we invite you, God, to be our rabbi and to be the one who teaches us. And we pray this in your precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Acts 15, verse 1, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. So this is in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas have come back to Antioch. They're They're taking a furlough from their missions trip. They're resting. And while they're there, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, the vast majority of of the people in the church of Antioch would not have been circumcised. It would have been a largely, it was a largely Gentile church and Gentile movement. And so these, these people, with all the concerns I've just talked about, they show up at the church and they're like, listen, 
you have to be circumcised. It's the least. It's the least requirement. You have to follow through with this. And notice they, they equate salvation with circumcision. You cannot be saved unless you are circumcised. Verse 2, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. So apparently Barnabas is back on the same page with Paul now. Remember, he, even he had been led astray. But God has convicted his heart. and He's back on the same page with Paul. Verse 2, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So they realized we're not going to get to a place of agreement. Um, we, we actually need to take this to the apostolic council to, to see what they believe and see what they say. So they're going to go take it back to Peter and James. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. James the, uh, James, the brother of John the Apostle, had already been martyred at this point. Um, James, the half-brother of Jesus, um, was the undisputed leader of the, the Jerusalem church. And he was known, uh, he was called Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his knees praying that his, the skin around his knees had like calcified and hardened and, and was thick. Um, and so he was just a man of deep, deep prayer and faith. And so they're going to take it back to him to, to let these apostles give judgment in this situation. Notice that they go through Phoenicia and Samaria. They have to travel through Phoenicia and Samaria to get to Jerusalem. And all sorts of things in the Gospels happen in these two places. One I was reminded of this morning that I thought was really cool was the story of the Phoenician woman when Jesus was there. You remember the story between Jesus and the Phoenician woman? where um, she said to him, uh, my daughter is ill, can you heal her? And Jesus says, and it's really harsh, <laughs> he says, I've been sent to the people, the children of Israel, I can't give the food that's meant for the children to the dogs. I can't throw it to the dogs. And then she says, which is so cool, she says, um, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table. And then Jesus says, good answer. That's literally what he says. He says, good answer. And, and then he, uh, of course, heals her daughter. So they're, they're passing down through Phoenicia, through Samaria, places that would not have been predominantly Jewish, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So along the whole path from Antioch down to Jerusalem, they're telling the stories of the missionary journeys, and people are getting excited about what God is doing. Verse 4, but when, when they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, so these are Pharisees who are also Jesus followers, rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. For all the reasons I described earlier. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. This is the key verse for this morning. I'm going to read it again. Verse 8. God, who knows the hearts of men, 
who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Do you remember what Moses said about circumcision, what he actually wished about circumcision? He said, I wish these people would be circumcised in the heart. Right? He said, not just a bodily symbol, I wish these people would be circumcised in the heart. And then Paul picks up on that theme and talks about that quite a bit um, in his epistles. So here we see uh, Peter saying, God who knows the heart bore witness to them. How does he bear witness to that relationship? Not through circumcision, but what? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. This is the new sign of the covenant. This is the new sign of the covenantal relationship between God and his people, sealing us with his promised Holy Spirit. So Peter is saying, God sent me to this Gentile household who did not live according to the law, who were not circumcised, but who prayed to Jesus, who received him as Messiah, and the Holy Spirit filled them just like the Holy Spirit filled us. And they didn't do anything uh, of the requirements of the law. Verse 9, and he made no distinction. He made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Their hearts were not cleansed because they followed the law. Their hearts were cleansed because they had faith in Christ. Verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke? Think about this in light of what Paul said to Peter. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So he essentially says the exact same thing that Paul said to him. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So we're saved by faith through grace, and the symbol of our covenant relationship with God is not a physical thing that we do to our bodies, but the indwelling of our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders Paul, God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Before I get into that, one little note. Um, I talk about this a lot. If, if we've been in a counseling situation, I've probably mentioned this to you at some point. I think that one of the most helpful practical things that Jesus says to his followers is be as innocent as doves and as shrewd as serpents. For I'm sending you out among wolves. That, to me, that is the single most practical, helpful thing that Jesus ever told his disciples. Be as innocent. When we're relating to one another, whether in the church or outside of the church, we should be as innocent as doves, but as shrewd as serpents. So we should be wise, but we should also be loving and innocent. And, and we can be both of those things in Christ. I think we see Paul being as innocent as a dove and as shrewd as serpent in this situation. What we know of Paul is he's kind of a hothead. And he likes a battle, and he likes a confrontation. And he's more than willing to stand up to the, whoever the perceived authority is and say, this is how it actually is. Like he just talked down Peter, right? Peter's the pillar of the church, the, the spokesman of the disciples, and and Paul confronts him to his face in front of everyone else. But not so in this situation. In this situation, Paul, it, it, he doesn't say anything at the beginning. He shares some stories, and then, and then he lets Peter be the one. I'm sure that he and Barnabas were probably just praying, Peter, remember 
God, help Peter remember what you did in him. And then Peter stands up and shares. And because Peter's the one who actually gives voice to it, then Paul can come in and say, yes, here's the evidence of that. So then Paul and Barnabas, after Peter speaks, share the stories. And then after they had finished speaking, verse 13, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, it's Peter's. They change his name all the time. Cephas, Simon, Simeon, Peter had related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. This is from Amos. Just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So he takes the Old Testament and he says, God has always planned on including the Gentiles. This was always God's plan. And he could have used many other scriptures to say this. Verse 19, therefore my judgment, his discernment, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. So this is the apostolic decision that they send out to the churches. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and in Syria and Cilicia. That's the region that they had done the first missionary journey. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled with you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. In other words, the men who said in Antioch that they were from James, James is saying, they weren't actually from me. I didn't send them, even though they claimed to be from me. Verse 23, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the names of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. And so they take a very moderate approach to this question. They don't require circumcision, but they do ask that the Gentiles be thoughtful in how they walk out their faith. And be thoughtful because their faith could be a stumbling block to Jews if they're, if they're eating stuff that's sacrificed to idols, which will come up again and again in later points in the New Testament. And so they're asking, be thoughtful, be kind, be loving in the way that you live out the freedom of your faith. Farewell. Good way to end a letter. Verse 30, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after that, they had spent some time. They were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. Um, I can count 33 and then 35 if you're tracking with me. There's no 34. 
Um, and that, if you have your Bibles open, there's probably not a verse 34 in your Bible. And it's because most of the really good, most reliable manuscripts don't have that verse. It doesn't really add anything to it. 35, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So, this was a ton of information this week. This was a teaching week. What I want you to do is I'm going to bring a little bit more application to it next week. So, here's the application for this week. Go read Galatians. All right? This week, go read Galatians. Spend time in the word of God. With this context in mind, read Acts chapter 15, re-engage it, and then read uh, the epistle to the Galatians and, and see how they speak to one another and how they inform one another. And then I'll give more practical application next week. Does that make sense? Yeah. We good with that? All right, Kurt, I'm going to call you guys back up. We're going to end um, in worship, so let's quiet our hearts for a moment as we transition back to a place of uh, adoration and worship. <clears throat> Father, I am so thankful that we have been set free in Christ, not only from the requirements of the law, but from the burden of the law. Just like Paul says to Peter, and then Peter says to the church at the Jerusalem Council, we've never been able to fulfill the requirements of this thing. It's a yoke too heavy for us. But Christ has actually set us free And no longer is our relationship with him determined by ceremonial cleanliness or following uh, specific civil laws or this kind of thing. uh, The rightness of our relationship with Christ is just that, a relationship with Christ. It's a circumcision of the heart. God, and the the covenantal sign of that is the, the filling of your people with your spirit. Jesus said, it's necessary for me to go so that the Father can send the helper, the advocate. We know, of course, that the advocate, the helper that Jesus had promised is your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for this this family here. I pray that um, each of us would be filled with your Spirit, God. Filled with your Spirit, um, knowing that the only way that we can live out the faith that you've called us to is through the empowerment of Jesus Christ dwelling within us. Father, we bless your name. We love you. I thank you for the history. I, I, I really enjoy the history. I know it's hard work, but I really enjoy it. It helps me understand your word, God. And I just pray for this body this week as we're reading Galatians together as a church. Father, that, that we would be blessed and encouraged and built up through your word, which is sharper than a two-edged sword and pierces us to the deepest places. And God, as we, as we sing in closing, We're going to sing just the beautiful hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King. We want to bless you with all of creation, God. We believe that all of creation cries out to you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Alleluia for our God reigns. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. We stand and sing together.